Good morning. Good to see you all here. Um, uh, a few things. Uh, you, we had uh, this uh, Friday and Saturday, starting Friday about three or so and through noon on Saturday, we, we hosted our presbytery here. And I do want to say it was a really good event. We do kind of the business of our of our region, and um, you know people always pre the presbytery preach any church that puts it on, and um, they always you know they'll all, 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 all say that. Uh, but um, you clearly they really liked uh, the way we were able to do it, and so I just want to um, you know brag on us just a little bit. All those the women's ministry had helped so much getting everything together, and really uh, you know my idea is. Just put out um, 10 or 11 tables and put some chairs around it. Maybe wipe the tables down. They can go. They're, they're guys, and most of them. Okay, so anyway, but uh, boy, they went above and beyond. I, uh, Bill Heimer and, and Lee Lampton Jr. just created an incredible uh, feast uh, for that. The women had created some dessert, uh, desserts. The choir and the band just really had worked very hard that week and did a great job. You know, Tyson, is, is that message up on our thing? Can people access that? I don't know. It was a really, I don't know yet, but it was a really, it was a really meaningful message. It was good, and if you wanted to hear that, I would encourage you for that. The IT people, as, as tough as this is down here, we all know how we're working through all of those kind of things, trying to get it set up where you got Zooms all over the place. We did a, uh, at least two, maybe even three um, trial runs and getting, and a lot of y'all were part of that. You know, we, I think we had 50, 55 people who got one, got on there and Zoomed with us back about 10 days ago, just so we could figure out how to make all this thing work. Well, it worked. And then, and then of course, the deacons did a great job. So really want to uh, just express how much uh, the presbytery appreciated that. And certainly Tyson and I uh, appreciate that. We're very proud of you. Um, also, Tuesday evening, is the ART, the Association of Reformed Theology. Um, for those who are reading and those who are not reading. I know that. Can you see that back up there? I, I told him the first service when Weston first pulled that up on me, I thought, is, is, is that Richard McClendon? No, 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 no. That's, um, Bernie Sanders became a, pre a Presbyterian. Um, and so that's what we hope to look like. We, we know he's a theological wonk, so uh, you'll enjoy that. If he's not there, we'll have somebody else there. So you're invited to be a part of that. And then also I do want to say our uh, February um, uh, table talk is out there. If you want to go ahead and get that, the, the main topic of, of this one is providence. God working all things at all time. Areas or any of that stuff is, um, we are we're a church that's part of a group of other churches in the EPC. We're a connectional church, and uh, one of the things that that affords us is the ability to like, uh, if, if a church wants to call a new pastor, uh, how, how does the congregation make sure that that pastor is theologically um, knows his stuff? Is you know, it, it is a good one. Of, one of the ways we can do that is. All the pastors from the area, from, from, from multiple states, come together. Uh, we work together to form a presbytery, and we actually examine the pastors that other churches would like to call to be their pastor. And so uh, there were, we, we, we had three chairs up here uh, on the stage, and um, each of them would take turns uh, preaching a sermon, and they would go sit down. And then this whole room full of pastors gave them oral examinations for like two plus hours. And uh, like this is, Weston is hoping to do this in a little bit. And I'll tell you like, if you just watch it, it makes your stomach hurt. Because it is, but, but listen, I'm thankful for it. 
Because you want, like you want your pastors tested, you want them to know their stuff, and, it's, it, and who else to do it than the pastors? So praise God for everyone who worked to make that happen. Jim, thank you for acknowledging how good my sermon was. I'm just going to go ahead and preach it again right now. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't mind being in church for an extra couple hours, do you? It was, it was, a, it was a fun, fun night. Um, this Wednesday, uh, our church is going to have a memorial service here. Uh, it will be at 11 o'clock in the morning. We'll have a visitation at 10 before that. It is for a friend of mine named Jody Sabatini, a 41-year-old neighbor who died of COVID-19 on Thursday night. So um, if you would like to come and be a part of that, I'm sure we'd love to have you. Uh, if you'd like to work that, that, that would be a great blessing to their family. Um, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Be called to worship now. I'm going to invite you to stand as we confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. And we started by asking this question, uh, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. So amazing Love so 
to be the people of prayer. And therefore, uh, let's be the people of prayer together now. And so I'll, I'll lead us. Now, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you today and we begin our prayer in adoration, saying to you what a good God you are, and, and we understand only goodness as we see it in you. How loving a God you are. We understand you to be omnipotent, without equal, completely set apart. And God, we praise you for being our creator who knit us together in our mother's womb. We praise you for being our sustainer that keeps our world moving and keeps our lungs pumping. And we praise you for, for sending Christ to be our redeemer. Father, we also confess our sins as we're together this morning. You know the sin of our hearts. You know our selfishness and our pride. And you know our secret sins. The ones that are personal and unique to us. The embarrassing ones.
Father, we are thankful for the gifts in our life. We stand here thankful for our health, especially when we look at the world around us and we see that health in some places is scarce. We're thankful for a church that we could be together with, brothers and sisters that we could praise God with, people to live life with. God, we thank you um, for our families. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. God, we lift up those in our community who are, who are sick, who are, who are fearful, who are isolated and lonely. God, we thank you today that we can uh, gather and pray this prayer that Christ has taught us as we say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh. 
We are working our way through the uh, book of First Peter. Um, as uh, Pastor Taylor has shared earlier, this is uh, probably being written in the early 60s of the first century. Uh, either the persecutions coming out of the Nero, uh, well, Nero and the burning of Rome and that kind of thing had happened. And uh, the persecutions had started in Rome and were kind of moving off into other parts of the empire. And here it is in what we'd call the areas of Asia Minor, uh, northern central Turkey, western Turkey, and the northern parts, and various uh, con congregations there. And uh, Peter writes, he says, God has caused us uh, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that the genuineness of our faith um, which is more precious than gold, though it's getting tested by fire. And Peter's point is, it's going to get tested by fire. Um, is, 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 like I said, it's more precious than gold. It is the, the, the supreme thing. We are to prepare ourselves for action. Uh, we ought to be prepared for the things that are getting ready to come upon us. And we're to set our hope fully, not so much on getting through the time, but on the grace uh, that is to be received at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, he uh, is a living stone. He was rejected by men, um, but in God's eyes, he was chosen and he was precious. And we, being in his image, are also living stones, being built into a spiritual house or a temple. 
is, is really the idea there. We're a holy priesthood. We're offering up spiritual sacrifices. And that doesn't mean invisible, but it means um, sacrifices that are acceptable um, to God. And these are acceptable to God because of they're in Jesus Christ. Uh, it says that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. These are incredible accolades. And, and, and it's not something he's just, just pulling out of his head. He was drawing this out of the Old Testament because this is what the people of God are. And he says, we are the people of God. They're reconstituted around Jesus Christ. And our purpose in all of this is to declare the excellencies of him who calls us out of the darkness into the light. So we can talk to the people that are in the darkness and convince them that there is a marvelous and wonderful light to be a part of. And it brings us to our text today. So if you will stand with me, if you are able, we are going to pray. And then we are going to read our text. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, um, we always come before you as your people. Uh, we come uh, to hear the word so it would come to us. And then we would live your word. We would be changed by it and live it. And so we would pray for that grace this morning. Um, that what we know, we would know better. What we don't know, we would um, we'd learn. And then we would want to see it in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're starting in verse 11, reading to verse 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as the people, as, uh, the people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. And brethren, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are in, our, in uh, Peter here in something of a transition. Um, the, first, the time coming before this uh, certainly carried some um, general exhortations as Christians, but it was filled with sort of the theology. And it sort of reaches this great crescendo of, of who we are as a chosen, uh, as a chosen people. Um, what sort of follows in it now is where you're still going to see some good theology, particularly as Christ is, who suffers and Christ who is our example. Um, but you're going to get some more of the nuts and bolts of how we are to live for Christ. And so certainly the first part is that we have a living hope. We've been, been caused to be born again to a living hope. And now it's how we live within that living hope. And so there's three basic admonitions here. 
Um, Peter writes, he says that we are to abstain from the desires of the flesh. It says that he says that we're to live right among unbelievers. And it says that we're to obey our civil leaders, particularly here because um, in his world it was the emperor. It was Nero. And those sent by him to enforce his will. We have an incredible freedom in Christ that we have been delivered from sin, um, but we're not to abuse it. Rather, we are instead recognized that we are ultimately servants, even slaves to God, and that's what motivates everything. And so we are to be honorable, we are to be loving, and we are to fear God in all things. We should live as he would want us to within this living hope. And so he talks about a few things. So first we want to talk about verse 11, abstaining from our fleshly lust. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Uh, you know, it's an interesting um, juxtaposition of a couple ideas. We have just finished the section in which it comes, this, like I said, this great crescendo in which he says, you're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And then it moves in just a breath later and a few lines later, it says, you're aliens, you're strangers, you're sojourners, you're exiles. And it's an interesting way to put these, but they really work well if we understand who we are in Christ. Um, in this present world, we're not really at home. That's one thing all Christians know. We, it's not that we don't enjoy the world. We can't see beauty. We, don't, we can't profit in some ways in it. And, um, and we don't want to leave it too fast and all, all that. But, but we know we're ultimately made for another kind of existence. Ultimately, it's this world transformed is what it's going to be. But the way it is right now, um, we're kind of on the outside. And so a lot of the things Christians are told to do will not necessarily fit the rest of the world. The rest of the world is going you to know, why do I care about those things? Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says something similar. He says, you have been raised up with Christ. You are hidden with Christ. So you're up there with him, ruling and reigning. You're with Christ on the throne room of God. But you're hidden now. And it's not who you are will not be revealed until he comes and he, he is revealed for who he is at, in the very end. And Peter is saying something like this. And so the word he kind of uses to, to speak of this, where we are between these worlds is the word flesh. And that word flesh, especially in the letters of Peter and Paul, have taken on a few different meanings. It's, it's by and large not the body. Um, we often think of the, you know, this stuff hanging on our bones or something. That's, that's not really what it's about. Um, it, it does have some of that. It does say that in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And that talks about it became humanity. And in Christ, our humanity is assumed into the Godhead. Um, and, 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 and that's as, as it should be. Um, Paul, in another place, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there that kind of means body. You can kind of see that. And it does a few places. Um, in other places, it kind of means that which is very weak, very fallible, imperfect, earthly versus heavenly. It's sort of a perspective. Um, Paul says in another place, he says, even though we once knew Christ according to the flesh, it didn't mean we knew him in the body. It means like 
Peter knew him when he said, um, you are the Messiah. And then as soon as Jesus says, yeah, I've got to die for you, he says, no, Lord, may it never be, and starts to rebuke him. We, they could see the miracles. They could get some of it. They knew he was special. He was a teacher, a prophet. They heard son of God, son of man, but they really didn't get the idea. And so, although we knew him once according to the flesh, this very imperfect way, we know him no longer. Now we know him as the risen Messiah, the one who kept his word, the one who rules and reigns the universe. He is Lord. And so that's the kind of way sometimes the flesh is seen. But the vast majority of the times when the apostle Paul will speak of it, and even here with Peter, it usually refers to the sinful nature. That is within us that rebels against God, that even though we are sinners saved by grace, we're still sinners who are saved by grace. We, have, we still have that old nature within us. We want to rebel against God. And in fact, if you have an NIV, a lot of these places where, where our mind will say the flesh, because that's probably a better translation straight from um, the Greek, yours will say sinful nature. For example, um, when, when Paul writes in Galatians, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think if you have the NIV, it says the sinful nature. Um, it's not the body and it's not just your imperfect earthly kind of perspective here. It's the fallen nature that wants to rebel against God. And so, uh, so we often kind of wonder, well, what does the flesh then kind of look like? Well, we get some lists of it in the Bible. And again, the Apostle Paul helps us with that in a pretty good place. Um, it is sort of juxtaposed and with the, the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. Now, I think we've all heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine fruits, and they're, 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 they're easy to remember, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. They kind of roll off the tongue. We teach them to our children. Um, we definitely taught, taught the, uh, the, the, the fruit and the songs that go with the fruit. Um, you know, I, I remember one my kid used to, like, we teach my kids, you know, be patient, be patient, you know, um, don't be in such a hurry, you know, that kind of stuff. And they would learn those. And I think there's one for each of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I did this. You can get online, you can go to YouTube, and you can type in, um, fruit of the Spirit um, kid song or children's songs. And that will come up. Sure enough, I hit it. And now it reminded me kind of what. And um, even my, my oldest daughter will tell you that uh, when she was at the hot, serving in a hospital in uh, St. Joseph's in um, Arizona, uh, all of the nurses were kind of stressed out and whatever. And, uh, you know, she was over the computer doing something. And so she just started singing that song, you know, be patient, be patient. And while she was in, in the midst of that, someone a few feet behind her started singing it real lightly, too. And they turned to each other and go, ah, how about that? And sort of a shibboleth, that's how you say it. Uh, of that uh, we all have our little code here. Um, and so anyway, um, uh, so that's that. But it's interesting, uh, that's, and Paul's using that to talk, to contrast that with the deeds of the flesh. And I did put that in, by the way. I said, children's song, deeds of the flesh. You think I found anything there? No, there's, there, there's uh, something, uh, I, it, was, it was called uh, um, Skin and Bones said something, and Zombies 2 said something. I, I don't even know what those were, if those are games, or, but that's what came up. Um, but we can see what Paul was talking about. We probably can't sing about it, but why don't we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And Paul writes, he says, Now the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, se uh, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, um, uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things or practice such things, says some versions, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think it was 15, he says, and such things as these, there's, there's plenty of, I mean, that's just, a, that's just a representative list. That's what the deeds of the flesh look like. And according to Peter here, they wage war, these passions, they wage war against the soul, which if you've been a Christian, a Christian for any amount of time, that is a pretty good description of what fighting with your sinful nature is, is all about, waging war against the soul. Um, the soul is the most valuable thing we have. The world does not see that. I think John Piper has a wonderful sermon on that, talking about it's all about our soul and maintaining that. And, and, and if we ever lose that, um, we've lost everything. And so Paul writes in another place, he says, the desires of the flesh, and I think those are examples of them, are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit, as you see in the fruit of the spirit, are against the flesh. They're a Opposed to each other uh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I hate to admit that, but those are the things I want to do. We all do in some form or fashion. And so God says that's not the way it should be. And Peter says this, these wage war against our souls. We ought to abstain from them. And so he says, as we shared a few weeks ago, instead we are supposed to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that we grow in Christ and not looking like the world. Or as Paul says in another place, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, and that's what we, don't we all want, transformation by the renewing of the mind, that mind that feeds upon the truth and the words and, and, and the ministry of Christ. And so Jesus says, what is a prophet of man? If he gains the whole world, and we're all wanting to gain the whole world. I mean, that's kind of what uh, the world sounds like. But you lose your soul. Living in this living hope that we have, we value our souls. We flee the passions of the flesh. The second thing is verse 12. In verse 12 it says, there we go, um, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the nations honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, we're told in scriptures that everything we do is to magnify God. Everything exists to magnify him. Everything that's out there is all about putting God on a pedestal and giving him the glory and the praise and the honor that is due him. I think, and again, as John Piper says, the whole purpose of missions is so more people will give thanks to God. And that's true. It's interesting that we are chosen. We're royal. We are holy. But we're also exiles. And we're also aliens. And both these things, this, this, this almost dichotomy works so that we will declare the excellent attributes of our God and his great reality um, to all those in the darkness so that they would see this marvelous light. And so it's interesting when he talks about them to conduct themselves in such a way. 
So that that in the end, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When they speak, they will speak. It says not if, but when, when they speak of you as evildoers. They don't, don't do it all the time, but certainly they'll do it from the earliest time, the earliest centuries of the church. The great accusation against the church was, was they are the haters of mankind. Because you think you're chosen and royal and holy, but you're not really made for this. You're going to look different. And so to the world around you, will look like you just, you're not in sync with everybody. But he says, nonetheless, there will be those who will give glory to God on the day of visitation. And most agree that means in a good way. They'll give praise to him. Their salvation in some ways is going to be linked to how they see us live ultimately differently. On that day of visitation, it doesn't necessarily mean the day of judgment. Um, uh, The commentators say it just means at some point there's an inspection by God. It could be historically in the judgment on the nations. It could be at the end of time. It could be the individual going before the Lord. But somewhere in there, God visits them. And they're saved. And we we sow seeds into that by how we live among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the nations. Our lives exist to bring others to Christ. A previous pastor that we had here will often speak about we need to speak to people, and he's right. We all want to We need to tell people the gospel. We have that opening. But we also, it's simply by the way we live, it should be far above the, what the rest of the world does. People go, that matters. So we keep our conduct honorable. I think your NIV says, live such good lives. And the New American Standard may say, keep your behavior excellent. Um, there, there's a lot of variety here because there's, there's sort of a play on some of the words here. When it speaks of lives here, the usual words they use for either our biological life or our spiritual life are not being used. Rather, it's using a word that speaks more about your manner or your conduct of life. or sort of a pattern of life. And the word honorable or excellent um, can also be translated in some places attractive or even beautiful. As one of the commentators say, have such beautiful lives. I just like that. I'm also short of that, but I just like it. Have such beautiful lives that people will see that and they're attracted by the beauty. And I think that was one of the things, the great things that C.S. Lewis does so much with the faith. And I've shared this before. He makes it beautiful. And that is, people ought to see that in very real ways. This is deep within the, the, the Gospels of Jesus. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a map. Uh, lamp, I'm sorry, and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is filled with how to live under the persecutions and the problems because of our faith. And yet he also says this. These are both true realities. And so this becomes the right goal of Christians, to live beautiful lives. To live in our living hope. We walk not after the flesh and we seek to live beautiful lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. The third thing he mentions here that I want to uh, talk a little about is verse uh, verse 13. Um, 
1 Peter uh, verse, uh, 2, verse 13. Let's read that again. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to be the emperor as supreme um, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Those first phrases, be subject to every institution. I think some of the commentators want to say this was almost a title to everything that would come in the rest of the book of Peter because he's going to talk about uh, subjection in a number of different ways and others think, think he's saying it now in regards to um, the institution of uh, the magistrate, that we call the civil magistrate, um, though it could apply in everywhere. But he says, um, for the Lord's sake, and it's interesting because you got to, you know, in the end, why do we do what we do? We can all say it's for the glory of God because God tells us. But sometimes you've got to say, you, you got to bring it to the forefront. And you say, this is not easy. You have to remember, these guys are getting ready to be under persecution. They're going to have troubles. And so you've got to remember why you do what you do. For the glory of God, for the Lord's sake. And he's sort of giving a big picture here of the civil government. But it's ultimately all dependent upon that wonderful phrase that we believe Jesus is Lord. Now, when you look at the church and you look at the problems they've had through the ages, there's all kinds of things that people um, would have problems with them. But at the heart of everything, no matter how respectful they were and how, uh, and how they um, um, sought to, to be at peace with all men to the best of their ability, as Paul says, in the end, they cannot abandon the truth that Jesus is Lord. And thus, he is Lord over everything. Um, so anyway, I do want to mention just uh, point, three points here that are part of this. Um, the first is this. All authority is established by God. And we, we have to understand that. When we look out there, um, every authority, uh, from the highest, you know, we see the supreme leader of the land or whatever, to the authority of the, of the guy who, um, you know, gets the tickets to the movie theaters or, or, or the crossing guard or, on the, or whatever that is, that your employer, the, uh, the teacher, all authority everywhere ultimately is established by God. But there, particularly there are three authorities that God creates directly very early in the scriptures. Uh, the family, the civil government, the civil authority, which we're talking about here, and the church. Um, and all these three years, you know, we, we, um, we, we were talking a little bit, Pastor Taylor and myself, between the services. And, and he made a very good point. He says, it's interesting that in all these three areas, we have a lot of conflict. And there's a big attack on the world. And I, my gut level is always, attack on the, uh, it's always an attack on these. Um, Satan hates these authorities. He hates to see the authority of the church work, work right. He, he hates to see the authority of the family work right. And he hates to use to see the, the authority of the state work, work right. And we see a lot of these will ultimately um, be abused. Um, the family is all about health and wealth, uh, welfare. The, the civil is, is all about justice. They have the sword. Um, the, the church is about the word and the sacraments and the conscience. Um, it's not the church's job um, to exercise the sword. They've done that through history and it's not been good. Um, it's not the, uh, the, the state's job to determine what a family looks like. The Supreme Court can't say what the family ought to be. They're out of their, their jurisdiction when they do that. Um, the church becomes the conscience for all these things, but it also has to sort of stay in its, own, in its own sphere. And so all of these are ones that God directly creates. And, they, and everything else is ultimately a subset of them. 
And a lot of our conflict is trying to work it out. It's not easy. There are places where they cross. If somebody is a, a, a husband is abusive in his, in his family, well, that's going to include the state. And that's going to include, if he's a part member of the church, it's going to include the church. Um, so they, there's a, they, they cross spheres here in some places. And it's not always easy to figure out what goes out, but we can see the three of them out there, and they're really not hold, they don't really um, hold each other accountable. Uh, I mean, they're not, they're, their place is not, it's not, again, the state's job to determine what is right, the salvation of the church, and, and, and they, they, they don't, they have their own spheres. But here, of course, when we move through Peter, you're going to see, he's the, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence, he's going to address all three of these, um, these um, and you want to say governments. But here he says, he's speaking of the emperor. In this case, it was Nero. I think actually the word means king, but our ESV um, interprets it as the emperor. And all his governors, which means like Pilate and Felix and all the people that came out from him. Uh, various administrations as they go down. It would include the courts and the judges and the police and the military. And all of these are a part of it. And they're supposed to enforce the works of, or uh, the will of the emperor. Uh, the emperor. And this says there's no authority out there, but there is absolutely no authority except by God. If there is an authority out there, and Christians have to believe this, God made it. And the purpose of the civil government, he tells us, is for this. Let's look at Romans chapter 13, because Paul expounds a little bit on this and and gives us a little more to it. Um, He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so he says, in the end, the the civil governments are just like all other ministries. They are servants or ministries for good. That word's actually the word in the Greek we use for deacons. They're like deacons. They restrain evil. That's their job. They can't save souls despite wanting to do it. They can't fix families. But their job is to be a restraint on evil. And Peter says they are to punish those who do evil. They're to praise those who do good. So the second thing, if the first thing um, is that all authority is established by God, the second thing is that all believers are to be subject to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake. If we resist authority, we resist God. And this is sometimes hard to swallow. Because especially, I think, in our world where we have so much access to um, change authorities. And by the way, as we're going to look here in just a minute, that's okay. But we go much further between that. We can be very dishonorable towards authority, disrespectful towards authority. Believers are not 
anarchist. Though some have acted that way. As Pastor Taylor pointed out a few weeks ago, believers that would participate in, be sympathetic with, or be apologists for the mobs of this last summer, or the mobs three weeks ago in the Capitol, indeed, word, or even in their silence, they sin mightily. And they would actually be part of it, that would be blasphemy. Samuel writes in one place. He says, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. It's interesting. Now, in the world of Harry Potter, that doesn't always carry that bad a word. But it's a bad word in the Bible. You know, in the, in the 16th century, when Martin Luther was kind of getting things going with the Protestant um, Reformation, something was kind of moving to, uh, that would kind of derail it. It was, this, it was this revolt called the Peasants' Revolt between 1524, 1525, 1526. And look, there were a lot of political, economic, and social inequities and things they had to fix and all kinds of problems, as we can all imagine at that time. Um, but, but they were also using sort of what he was doing as sort of the energy for that. And so he had to say no to that. And so he wrote uh, a pamphlet called Against the Murderous Thieving Hordes of Peasants. He was not interested in the mob. He did not think that was by any means consistent with Christianity. We're told near the end of Acts that the Apostle Paul, among his many trials with the Sanhedrin, um, he testified that he had lived his life with a good conscience toward God. And the high priest instructed another priest to slap him across the mouth. And then Paul says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Which in those days was a real bad thing in those people. Okay, that's okay. Um, but that, it's taken from Ezekiel and is a bad thing about the leaders of God's people. And then somebody said, uh, the high priest told him to do that. And then, and then he backs up real fast. He goes, oh, no, I'm sorry. He said, I didn't know why high priests had done that. And then he goes and he quotes, I think something from Deuteronomy. He says, you shall not speak uh, evil of a ruler of your people. Paul continued to be Paul and preach the gospel. But he also knew he was not to be disrespectful to authority. And so third thing here, which I think um, we, we ought to make mention of, though it's not what primarily comes up here, and this is it. No authority is absolute in this world. God, his authority is absolute. Jesus is Lord of lords. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the emperor of emperors. He is above, higher, it says in Ephesians, above and higher above all rule and authority everywhere. In this age and all the ages to come, all authority that's here that is instituted by God is delegated authority. And so they can't abuse it. Husbands can't abuse their position. Um, parents can't abuse their position. Church leaders cannot do it. There are things they can do wrong. Um, even civil rulers are not to do that. And that they ought to be held accountable for those kind of things. In fact, primarily authorities lose their standing when they command God's people to sin. Just like Paul was going to continue the preaching, so was Peter. I mean, Peter was preaching the gospel. People told him to stop. He kept doing it. He ends up in jail for it. And then an angel actually brings him out and, 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 and he's delivered and the guards who were supposed to guard him end up getting executed for it. Later, Paul was in the Philippian with the Philippian jailer and he is delivered. 
And he keeps preaching the gospel. Very early in the book of Acts, they bring Peter up and say, look, we're done beating you. No more talking in this name of Jesus. He said, who are we going to obey, God or man? And that is where leaders, you draw the line. It's far more complicated than all of that, but that's where it certainly begins. The truth is, brethren, we all know that civil leaders often, if not most of the time, do the the absolute opposite of their calling. They oppress the righteous and the good. They encourage what is often evil. You don't have to be in some, uh, you know, third world nation or, or some emperor from the past with Tommy Nero. But you can see that in our culture. It goes on all the time. And Christians ought to use every godly and lawful means to resist evil. That's what we're called to do. It looks different in our country or the Western world in the 21st century than it does the first century Rome. It looks a lot different this century than it does in India or Saudi Arabia or China. But Christians are called to resist evil. They are to always be patient in their endurance. They resist evil by praying for their enemies, praying for their leaders. They are called to turn the other cheek, which, by the way, is a subversive act but it's built on the kingdom of God's principles. They're called not to, present, not to participate in ungodly activities. And they can advocate, they can vote, all the things the various cultures do. What you and I can do, they can't do in India, maybe. But the Christians are called to use what they have and to stand for the gospel. And they are always declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think the life or the words of Peter would ever um, contradict these things. So in the end, verse 14 through 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We do right. He says it's a great way to silence the accusations that will come. Ultimately, to silence them before God is our great goal. But we win the approval of our God. We've been set free. All the kinds of things that are joined because of our sin. We've left one world, but we're now, we've left and set free from sin, but now we become lives of slaves and we enter a whole new life of submission, but it's the joyful submission of that to Christ. And the things Peter says right here look um, very similar to the ways Jesus lived. And other places where it talks about Jesus, one who would not, um, uh, you know, raise a, or say something mean with, a, with, with his tongue, but would, as a sheep led to slaughter, would, in, in, would, would um, hinder or would withhold a, a rash judgment. That Jesus Christ himself was submissive in all things to the Father. His prayer was, thy will be done. If there's a way out of this, let's do it this way. Let's go. But that would be, how much of that is our prayer? And so Peter exhorts us um, in these things. He tells us finally, he says, um, we are to honor um, certainly everyone. We ought to love the brethren. And then above all, we are to fear God. 
and then it says honor the emperor. Uh, the commentators have made the point that um, he's sort of taking various words and, and he's moving up. And he says, everyone gets honor. We should, we should respect everybody gets that. You love your brethren. That's higher. And above all, you'd have fear and tremble before a holy God. When he gets to the emperor, he doesn't say fear of the emperor. He drops him down and he says, but honor the emperor. Just like you honor all people, give him the honor due his position. Brethren, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Um, we, 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 we thank you that you have called us out of darkness. You call us into light. We thank you that we are changing, you are changing the way we think about things. We thank you that you have given us time and opportunity here to bear fruit, to be witnesses to this world. Um, we often um, are, uh, don't want to be content where we are. We want to go back to the old days or move on to something. But you have us here now for a reason. We pray that we will use the time you have given us um, to be examples of Christ. And all these things, we want to want him to be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
um, the exhortations um, to being the right examples before the Gentiles and our submission. And a lot of things we're called to do are ultimately rooted in that first one where it says abstain from the fleshly lust, uh, uh, the lust of the, um, the fallen nature. That drives us, um, if you go look at that um, list, more than just the sort of we often think the animal ones, but the ones of the spirit, the, the rage, the anger, the, um, the pride, the envy, the arrogance that is behind so many of the other things that we, that we do. Um, but instead that we are to um, honor everyone that we are to love the brethren, that we are to fear God, and we are to honor the emperor. And in that, um, receive our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So teach my soul to rise to you. When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my how much we